how would I actually try and keep patients out of the operating room? How would we prevent this in the first place? Hello, everyone. I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today, I'm super excited to be chatting with Dr. Casey Means, a Stanford-trained physician and the chief medical officer and co-founder of one of my favorite products ever, Levels. Casey's mission is to maximize human potential and reverse the epidemic of preventable chronic disease with tech-enabled tools that can inform personalized and sustainable dietary and lifestyle choices. Today, she'll be discussing metabolic health, food systems, and more. Before we get started, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hello, Dr. Casey. How are you? Oh, Morgan, I am so excited to be here. I'm such a fan of Primal Kitchen and I can't wait to chat. Yeah, me as well. I've been levels obsessed for a few years, so I am just thrilled to chat with you, learn how you started this company and what's going on at levels. And maybe we can do a little, you know, a little blood sugar 101 for folks listening. So give me the lowdown. How did you get involved? I want to hear the founder story of Levels, a quick oh founder story. Oh my goodness, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a circuitous route. I trained as a head and neck surgeon, so very far from metabolic health, but um, but the journey you know, really unfolded throughout my 20s. So I've always been interested in nutrition. I've always been interested in prevention since I was a teen. I always loved cooking, um, really... I, I studied nutrigenomics in college and thinking about how food compounds change our, change our gene expression. It's so empowering to think about like what you put in your body changes your outcomes and this interaction between diet, lifestyle, and health. Then I go to the surgical world and it's really like devoid of those concepts. You're really not thinking about food, nutrition, lifestyle, prevention, empowerment. If you think about surgery, it's like, it really is. It, it's like end of the road. You know, you wait until someone has like a fulminant, overt disease, and they probably failed medic medical management, and you go in there and you know you do something really dramatic. You you put them under anesthesia, put them on a table, and cut into their body. And you know, in ENT, it's a lot of ear, nose, and throat, head, and neck surgery. Um, it's a lot of these chronic inflammatory disorders that have gotten really bad and you end up basically busting holes in things and sucking pus out, like whether it's the ear or the sinuses or whatnot. And so, you know, I, I was like in my early 30s and I'd been in this, you know, medical path for like nine years and I kind of had an awakening where I'm like, you know, I am really very far removed from that initial kind of thrust of why I went into medicine, which is to help people be as healthy as possible. And I was really just like mopping up messes, right? I was waiting until people were sick and then mopping up the mess and and just felt such a distance, a gulf from that empowering, like how do I generate the most health in a patient with a patient? And instead I was just doing stuff to patients um, and not really generating health. I mean, sucking pus out of a sinus does not actually change the physiology that led to the sinusitis. And so that put me down such a road the best journey of my life, which is trying to unpack like, you know, how would I actually try and keep patients out of the operating room? How would we prevent this in the first place? And that just launches you right back to, you know, daily choices, daily habits around our exposures and the things we're putting into our body. Um, like I mentioned, so many of the ENT conditions are chronic inflammatory in nature. And when you really think about what is inflammation, it's the body fighting a threat. And you kind of scratch your head and think, gosh, like almost every chronic disease we're facing today 
and especially all the stuff I'm dealing with in ENT, ultimately is the body responding to a threat. Like even diabetes, heart disease, dementia, we all know these are kind of chronic inflammatory disorders. So in the American body, people are feeling like there's this constant threat. And it's like, what is that? Threat is a fear, right? What is the body afraid of? And really the answer that you know, I came to through exploring functional medicine and kind of digging back into biochemistry is the body is ultimately afraid of these modern Western exposures and this abnormal living that we're doing in the past 50 to 100 years that is so radically different from how we live for the rest of human history. We're eating almost 70% ultra-processed foods. The entire basis of our diet is uh, sugar, refined grains, and seed oils, none of which really were a part of our diet over 100 years ago. We're sitting almost all day. We're getting less sleep than we ever were before. There's 80,000 synthetic toxins in our environment, probably more than that, um, that we just were created in factories. So there's all these threat signals to our body. And of course, logically, what would the body do? Mount an immune response, chronic inflammation. And now we have this monumental chronic disease epidemic that is fundamentally rooted in this fear in the body to what we're exposing ourselves to. So that just launched me out of the surgical world to really pursue this this other direction, which was how do we empower people to understand how what they're doing every day with all the hundreds of, of choices we make every single day around food and lifestyle choices, really understanding how it's affecting their body and feel empowered to make the best choices to prevent disease and to create a sense in the body that things are thriving and um, that it is safe. And so that's really what I'm passionate about. And that ultimately led to levels because, you know, there was really a, when I like truly left the surgical world and put down my scalpel and said like, and to me, it was like, I'm not going to cut into another patient and profit hugely off of that practice until I figure out what I could possibly be doing to keep people out of the operating room. And when I did make that decision, um, I kind of went to the whiteboard and I said, what are all the different ways I could be the doctor I want to be, which is to, again, empower patients to maximize their health potential. Um, and there were a lot of different options. You know, it's like go into policymaking, you know, write, um, be an entrepreneur, et cetera. And to me, the thing that felt like the highest yield thing we could possibly do was teach people how to eat properly, right? Like it's so simple. We eat three pounds of food a day, 70 metric tons of food in our entire lifetime. And those choices are just, just define whether we're going to be healthy and happy and live a long life and have disease or not. And so continuous glucose monitoring, which is of course what Levels focuses on, is this incredible technology that was never really before accessible to the general population that very quickly shows you how what every bite you're putting in your mouth, how it's immediately affecting your blood sugar, which we know can be a huge inflammatory trigger if it's really high and if it's swinging around throughout the day, and show you basically how to implement both dietary strategies, but also lifestyle strategies like walking after meals or getting more sleep to stabilize your blood sugar and really keep that sense of metabolic health and safety in the body. And so my I got really excited about how do we how do we scale this technology to as many people as possible so for the first time ever we can cut through all the nutrition noise and just learn how to eat in a way that stabilizes our blood sugar, optimize our, 
optimizes our metabolic health and in, improves our um, sense of wellness and safety in the body. I love it. And do you wear uh, you do you wear levels like every day? So we're about four years into the company. I'd say I, I've been wearing it about seventy five percent of the time. Um, I still am learning so much. I got sushi last night, and it's like that has. <laughs> That has burned me so many times before, but I like I last night I got sushi, but I know that's gonna spike my glucose. So I did it after I took a three mile hike, and then right after I took a walk around the block, and you know it it I was able to keep it much more stable. So even to this day, I'm still getting those feedback loops that help reinforce you know what's what works for me. Yeah, that was something I noticed. Like I could tell, like just the awareness of like oh I had uh, and real quick for those listening, like. It's uh when we talk about a continuous glucose monitor, some people may not, might not even know what that is, but it's a you you put it on your skin. I wear it on like my arm. I think I've even worn it on my stomach before. I don't know where do you wear it? Your arm? I've got it on the back of my arm. Yeah, yeah the back of my arm, and it you you kind of like stamp it on. It almost feels like a stamp, like you're getting at like a concert or something, but with a you can't even feel it. I mean, I was so afraid the first time I did it, and I was like, is this a joke? This is not even like a it's not even a shot. It's very nothing. So you stamp it on, then every, it holds what, eight hours of data. So you just have to make sure you scan the monitor, you know, once every eight hours, and it does give you reminders. And then that data is uploaded into the Levels app. You can enter what you eat. It will rank your meals for you based on how your response was to that meal um, and gives you just a a line of what your blood sugar is doing throughout the whole day and when you sleep and all the things. So. Anyway, for those listening who didn't know what Levels was, uh, that's the lowdown. And to your point, if you, you know, there was, I remember like back when we launched Primal Kitchen, the guys who founded Quest Bar were like finger pricking, right? Like with my first pregnancy, even five years ago, I didn't have Levels yet. I didn't, I don't know when you got, when did you guys launch? 2019, about four years ago. Okay. So this was, yeah, five and a half years ago and I was pregnant with my first. And I was having blood sugar issues when I was pregnant, which is pretty common. I never had like a gestational diabetes issue, but I believe according to Kelly Levesque, women are much more like insulin sensitive when they're pregnant. Um, But you used to have to like prick your finger. That kind of hurts, squeeze the blood out, drop it on the thing. And you'd get like a one-time reading, which was in all reality, just like really not that helpful, right? Like you could miss the time by 30 minutes and you just don't have enough data. So the cool thing about levels is you see the full blood sugar curve. You see like if you go sky high and come crashing down fast, if you're sustained high, you know, all of the things. Um, But I will say I have had that experience where I can see, oh, you know, I ate a big meal or I ate too fast. I notice when I eat fast, my blood sugar goes up like if I'm too hungry. Uh, And then you can just start walking. And it's like amazing how fast your blood sugar does kind you can just like stop the spike and at least I could just start walking and kind of it would like level off and then you know maybe start to decrease it's, it's crazy oh it's absolutely magical i think that one of the biggest takeaways people have when they wear a continuous glucose monitor is how some of that light activity after eating is just game changing for their glucose spike so just 
backing up, you know, like about why a glucose spike is a problem, um, there's a lot of reasons why we want to avoid them and have them happen regularly. And, um, you know, obviously for someone who's healthy and doesn't have diabetes, if you do have a glucose spike, the body knows how to deal with it. It releases this hormone called insulin and it brings the blood sugar down out of the bloodstream into the cells so that it can be either used to make energy for the body or stored in a storage form like fat. And um, and that's normal, right? If you eat a banana or something with carbohydrates, the blood sugar is going to go up and then the body can handle it and come down. But when that is happening day in and day out, five, 10 times a day, which is what's happening in our American food system because the vast majority of the calories that we're eating are ultra-processed foods with added refined sugar or ultra-processed grains, which spike the glucose so quickly. We're on this glucose roller coaster all the time, and it really tires the body, in a sense, on a molecular hormonal level, such that that insulin signal to take the glucose out of the bloodstream does not work properly if we are constantly barraging the cells with these spikes of glucose and a lot of other factors that create problems with our insulin signaling. Um, and so what's really nice is that you can start to see, okay, what is spiking me? What's causing the roller coaster? And then what is actually keeping me more stable? And the walk is one of those really easy strategies that can do that. Because let's say you eat a high-carbohydrate meal, pasta, bananas, whatever, you just go outside, take a 20-minute walk around the block, and you can literally see in real time that the spike was going up. And then, like you said, it starts to, to level off and come down. And that's that's really exciting because you can see the immediate effect of that simple strategy and know that it works. And um, aside from these regular spikes, what's called glycemic variability, aside from those kind of leading to those long-term problems with how our body processes blood sugar, also, a lot of people notice that they actually just feel crummy after a big spike followed by a crash. So what will happen is if your blood sugar goes up really high, the body releases all that insulin, a surge of insulin, and it can really cause your blood sugar to then plummet as the as the blood sugar gets taken out of the bloodstream and into the cells. And after that spike and crash, you can have this phenomenon called reactive hypoglycemia, hypo meaning low glucose. Um, and reactive hypoglycemia is often when people feel that post-meal slump, you know, the low energy after a really big lunch. They need the extra cup of coffee or they have a craving. So there's actually been some really interesting research showing that cravings for carbohydrates often happen when people are having reactive hypoglycemia because the body's like, oh my gosh, my glucose plummeted. I need to get it back up to baseline so it stimulates you to want carbohydrates. So if we can get off that big spike, big crash uh, pattern and more into sort of low, gentle rolling hills of glucose, we actually can often feel a lot better, more sustained energy, sustained mood, and fewer carbohydrate cravings. So I often you know, reflect on the fact that like uh, basically a more glucose stable day for me is often a more stable day overall in terms of energy, mood, cravings. And that's really nice. That's in a way kind of like a superpower, especially as, you know, we've got a lot of people who are founders of companies and whatnot using levels and and that little extra marginal kind of benefit of energy can be really, really helpful. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what other things have you learned from wearing it yourself? I'm curious. Ooh, oh my gosh, so many things. Um, I I think the biggest thing for me um, is about balancing meals properly. Um, you know, there like if you're eating a, a meal that is like predominantly 
carbohydrates, you're often going to see a really big spike. So an example of this would be like, let's say I have, um, let's say for breakfast, you grab a piece of fruit and you're running out the door and that's all you have. Like fruit is inherently a whole food. It's healthy. So, you know, great option, right? Better than a processed food. But if you eat that fruit alone, it can often lead to just a really quick absorption of, of sugar into your bloodstream from the digestive tract. Conversely, if you pair it with protein, fat, and fiber, you're often going to see a much gentler glucose rise and feel better. And so I've switched from like, okay, I'm just going to grab a banana or grab a piece of fruit to I'm going to make a big batch of chia pudding on Sunday with some you know, full-fat coconut milk, some chia seeds, um, have a lot of nut butters handy, chopped walnuts handy. Um, and so right there, if you add the banana to that chia pudding with a little bit of you know, some walnuts, that really changes the response because those chia seeds have tons of fiber. They have a lot of protein and you've got some fat from the seeds and the coconut milk. And so that's the type of shift of just really learning how to balance a carbohydrate, avoiding naked carbohydrates and um, and balancing the meal. Another really cool thing is that if you preload your carbohydrate-rich meal with protein, it can often slow the absorption of glucose and create a much more stable um stable glucose response. So let's say you know you're going to be going to a meal that has a lot of carbohydrates, like you're going to a wonderful Italian restaurant and you're you know really excited about the, the French bread and the pasta. I would recommend in that situation, have a couple hard-boiled eggs before you leave, have an eight-ounce chicken breast with like 30, 40 grams of protein before you go, like an hour before. And one, it's going to, of course, increase satiety. So you're not going to be quite as hungry for all those carbohydrates, but also it's going to slow the absorption of how they get into the bloodstream and change that response and and maybe have all those positive outcomes like less cravings and um and and you know more stable uh mood and energy. So things like that around balancing have been helpful. I was actually when we started the company four years ago, I was actually fully vegan. I'm no longer vegan. I still think the power of plants are miraculous, but I've really moved towards um, the regenerative farming community and movement and sort of uh, really thoughtfully sourced animal proteins. Um, But when I was plant-based, it was actually really revolutionary for me because I realized that within categories of foods that I was eating, um, there were some that were better for me than others in terms of glucose response. So I'm a believer that really all whole foods that are grown in good soil are 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 great to eat. You know, whole foods is the answer, I think, for a lot of our our healthcare problems um, and unrefined foods. And so certainly, I don't think there's any like bad fruits or bad vegetables or bad, you know, starchy root vegetables. However, when I ate, all the different fruits I love, I found that some caused almost no glucose response and some caused a huge glucose response. So for me personally, my body, I can eat pears, apples, oranges, berries have very minimal glucose response. However, if I eat a mango or grapes, um, those two are the main ones for me. I might go up a hundred points in my glucose, which is a lot. That is like 200. Oh yeah, I've hit 200 with a handful of grapes before. Really? And so for me, that's and that's high. And, is that seems like really high? It's a high. I think the the highest I've 
ever been in my life was a Japanese sweet potato and grapes. And wow. those are both right, like hit 200. And just for reference, I try and never go above 110. Like yeah. that is my, that is to feel my best. I'm like r- ranging between 75 and 110. And I mean, sometimes I never even get up to 110 in, in a day because if you learn a lot of these principles, it's actually quite easy to stay in a healthy range. So those were just like, feel like, honestly feel like an out-of-body experience. You're like, oh my God, I feel floaty and weird and immediately going out to take a walk. So again, not unhealthy foods, beautiful foods, but for my body, my microbiome, my physiology, that is what the response I had. So for me, I would rather lean into blueberries, apples, unripe pears, rather than some of these other fruits to just make myself feel better. So learning what works best within a category, I think is really, um, really powerful. And And everybody is different, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it really does teach you about you. Like, I remember for me, for instance, to your point on the fruit, like I remember eating breakfast one morning and like I was, I, I have three kids under five. So eating breakfast is like, kind of funny that I would even say that because I haven't like sat down and eaten breakfast and I don't know how long. And I used to be a huge intermittent faster for like 10 years. I still love intermittent fasting. I just can't do it when I'm like nursing and pregnant. I'm too hungry. I'm like nursing all night. I'm starving in the morning. But I remember I just like was picking at like, I probably ate like a pint of raspberries on an empty stomach and my blood sugar went through the roof. And then I went out to dinner like two nights later, had like a steak and vegetables and ice cream after dinner. And I didn't have a any blood sugar response from ice cream. But this like raspberries on an empty stomach was like <laughs> detrimental. I don't think I've ever gotten to 200, but I feel like I have a hard time staying below 110, but I don't know how much. I haven't been sleeping much. And I know there's other factors besides just what you're eating that like affects your ability to stay low. But I just thought that was so interesting. I'm like, but the but ice cream has like fat and protein in it. I mean, not a lot, but some, right? I mean, if you're not, if you're eating not sherbet, like if you're eating full fat, real ice cream. And I found that if I eat that, also someone told me, tell me if this is true. You're Some people are more insulin resistant in the morning and some in the evening. Like it's, that's an individual thing, right? So a couple of things here. So first of all, um, yes, every single person responds differently in terms of their glucose response to foods. And this is fascinating. We did not know this previously, right? This We thought there was like the glycemic index and a specific food as a specific blood sugar response. That has really, that, that paradigm has shifted largely in part to an amazing paper that came out in 2015 um, in Cell from a group in Israel called Personalized Nutrition by Prediction of Glycemic Responses, where they gave 800 healthy people standardized yeah. meals and found that everyone basically had different responses to those meals in terms Crazy. of blood sugar. And they figured out like dozens of different factors of the individual's biology that led to those differences, a big one being microbiome, which is pretty fascinating. So that's one thing. Yes. Different responses, which is why testing it for yourself, like no one should take, there are principles that we can all use, like fiber, fat, protein can help stabilize a glucose spike. But if grapes don't work for me, that's that, that really can't be, um, it's not a standard thing. It's not a standard thing, which I think is kind of makes it kind of fun, but also a little complicated, but it's, it's, this is why it can be helpful to, to test glucose, whether it's with a finger prick or a glucose monitor, like once in your life to test all these things out. Um, but then in terms of this, this follow-up about the ice cream. So, um, you know, we hear that a lot about ice cream that some people don't spike with it because in some way, in, in like a really high quality 
like ice cream, it kind of is a balanced meal in a sense. This is so strange because it's like, it's got fat, it's got protein, no fiber, but like the fat and protein are pretty high because it's generally whole milk or cream. And then you know, some sugar. And so, but also I think the key thing about what you just said was that you had had a big steak before you ate it. So you had probably 50 grams of protein being processed, which changes your, your glucose response. Um, and I, you know, it actually brings up a good point, which is that, um, which is that just because you don't have a glucose response to something doesn't necessarily mean it is the best like a totally freebie food. I'm and, not and like living off ice cream. Totally. Although it is my favorite food. And if I had to live off one thing, it would be ice but cream. But carry on. Just for people listening, like thinking like, oh, if it doesn't spike my glucose, then it must be healthy. It, it's not, it, it is one lens through which to look at food, but there's a lot of other things to take into account. And the example that I love is like, you could chug an entire gallon of canola oil or an entire thing of vodka and your glucose wouldn't spike, but obviously it's not like supporting right. your yeah, health. Yeah, yeah. So you have to take it into account um, with everything else. But certainly I think having that steak and having sort of like a full fat ice cream. like And like I'm eating like... I- small like gelato one scoop you know like right. sometimes my husband's like I'll have the extra large and there's like easily four scoops of ice cream in there but that's like I'm pretty like moderate okay but I have to ask you on that because if you have a lot of fat could you spike your blood sugar or can you really not eat enough fat to bl- spike your blood sugar I've seen people report spikes with lots of protein lots of fat or lots of glucose like like obvious- an excess of a macronutrient can that have an effect on blood sugar even if it's a non-blood sugar spiking macronutrient like fat for instance I think it can I mean there's so many things obviously protein and fat are not the things that are going to spike your your glucose as much but um there are different phenomena that can happen like with protein for instance it can stimulate like gluconeogenesis, which is where your liver actually makes glucose, um, like not glucose you take in, but glucose that you actually make from other building blocks in the body. So that can happen. Fat, not so much, but like there's wonky things that can happen. Like if you eat so, so, so much fat that it's like overwhelming the body, that can be a stress signal that can actually also raise your glucose because anything that causes- Yeah, I could see that happening, especially if someone's not fat adapted. Like if that is, like if someone's fat adapted and their mitochondrion cells are very primed to take up fat efficiently, that's one thing. But you can imagine someone who's not, who goes and has 200 grams of fat at some, you know, dinner or something that could actually be like a a stressor on the body that can like, and, and, and again, any stress on the body can lead to a glucose rise which is like another fascinating phenomenon, which is where if your body is stressed and you're releasing stress hormones like cortisol and catecholamines, it's actually a signal to the liver to mobilize glucose to allow you to fight that stressor. And so anything that gets your catecholamines and your cortisol and these hormones revved up, which could be sleep deprivation, could be you know having three kids running around. It could be anything. It could be stress at work. It could be giving a presentation or a huge load of a macronutrient, like you just said with fat, all those things, anything that leads to stress can lead to a glucose spike. And so that's something really fascinating that a lot of our members see is that they might be totally squared away in terms of diet on um, on keeping their glucose stable. But if they're not getting enough sleep one night, or if they are very stressed some week for any circumstances, glucose can be all over the place. So as a almost like an adjunct sleep motivator and adjunct mindfulness tool, 
glucose monitoring really has a place there as well. And I, I think especially for me, like four years in, those are some of the things that I'm really refining. Like I just moved from Oregon to LA and I'm driving a 26-foot U-Haul and I've got movers on both sides. You know, it was just a totally crazy week. And like, no joke, my glucose was like probably 10 to 15 points higher the entire week. I was sleeping erratically. I was on aero beds, like, and everything just got bumped up. And so it was a really good reminder for me, like the week that I kind of got settled to just really double down on making sure I got the best possible sleep, reboot my body a little bit. Because even one night of poor sleep can actually cause transient insulin resistance. Yeah, uh, I saw that. Yeah. I also saw like, I remember one time I had to speak and I get like nervous before I speak if it's not like a crown. I know I'm like great on a panel, but I'm not great otherwise. But I remember, um, I hate speaking, <laughs> but I remember like having lunch and then my blood sugar was like through the roof and I'm like, holy smokes, like this cortisol stress thing is really having an effect on my blood sugar here and sleep for sure. I mean, it's just everything. Okay. You mentioned earlier there was like that study where the, what, 800 people had a different response and you mentioned um, microbiome. What other things were they crediting with the difference in blood sugar response among people? Yeah. So that paper was fascinating. There were several features aside from microbiome. One was actually like what's called anthropomorphic features. So this is like general body type. So how much like abdominal fat someone had versus fat elsewhere in the body, which we know that's a marker of um, abdominal fat is also called visceral fat. And that's basically a different type of fat than the fat you might see on your arms or legs. It's much more dangerous because it's surrounding your organs. Um, and that's more associated with insulin resistance. So kind of just like looking, like looking at someone's waist to hip ratio or these surrogate markers of, um, visceral abdominal fat, which is related to insulin resistance had an impact. Um, how much activity someone had like the day before, um, the experiment was also related to that because if you do, um, you know, a high intensity interval training workout or resistance training workout, or even a lot of like low intensity exercise, it can actually improve your insulin sensitivity for days. Uh, so exercise is magic, of course, but factors like that, how much sleep someone had gotten, um, all were relevant. They also studied some genetic factors as well. So, um, it was very, very interesting. And really what I think the key point it shows is that there are so many elements to what uh, contributes to our glucose response and our metabolic health. And we really have to think about it holistically. And what you might need to do for optimal metabolic health might be very different than what I need to do for optimal metabolic health. And that actually may change very much across our lifetime in different circumstances. So some of the key pillars that are related to your glucose outcomes or your general metabolic health are things that are pretty obvious, like food, what we're eating, um, both on a current day, but over time. Within food, it's not just the macronutrients, like how much sugar or fat there is, but it's also the micronutrients. So glucose is processed by the, the mitochondria to make energy. And the mitochondria need like dozens of micronutrient cofactors to work properly. Like uh, vitamin C and several B vitamins and coenzyme Q10. And we get a lot of these things from food. So micronutrient status is actually 
you know, just as important or more important than the macros that were the, the the composition of the macros that we're putting into the body. So the food is a big one. Sleep we've talked about is a big one. Stress is really big and not just active acute stress, but actually like long-term stressors and trauma, like trauma in our childhood is actually related to our metabolic health now. The number of adverse childhood events is correlated with metabolic outcomes. So um, stress, sleep, food, microbiome, environmental toxins is really a big one. There's a whole class of environmental synthetic toxins now called obesogens that we know directly impact mitochondrial function and change our ability to process glucose, our insulin sensitivity. And then two others that are kind of really emerging more that I think are so interesting is the light that we expose our to. Light and mitochondria have a really incredible relationship. We've evolved under the sun, under full-spectrum light, and obviously our light patterns and habits have changed hugely over the last 100 years since the invention of the light bulb and then screens, and we're exposed to totally different wavelengths of light than we used to be in all of evolutionary history. And that has a really big impact on our mitochondrial function. So things like artificial blue light at night and lack of sunlight during the day, both are negatively impacting our blood sugar and metabolic health. And then the last one I'll mention is actually temperature. So again, thinking about evolutionary history, you know, this concept of indoors is a relatively new phenomenon, having this like temperature controlled environment. Um, Even a hundred years ago, the vast majority of people in America didn't have like heating, indoor, like year-round heating, and of course not cooling systems in the house. And so we now have what what I refer to as a thermoneutral existence. We really like it to be a very comfortable temperature and we don't experience big swings in temperature. But temperature is such a fascinating driver of metabolic outcomes. Because if you think about it, when the mitochondria are converting food substrates to energy, so like glucose to ATP, they're acting like a furnace. It's like a combustion engine. It's creating heat. That's what warms us. And so if you are exposed to cold more regularly, it's a stimulus to the body to make more heat. And so to tell the mitochondria to basically do more and to be more efficient and to replicate And um, I know you had Chris Rinch on the podcast recently, but like to do that process of mitophagy of like recycling poor mitochondria so you can have good ones. But thermoneutrality, which is, you know, we think of this as progress in the modern world that we can be comfortable all the time. It's actually hurting a stimulus to tell our mitochondria to do better, which of course translates into then glucose control, metabolic health, and insulin sensitivity, which are all kind of somewhat synonymous. And so... Yeah, so those are kind of all the the different levers we can think about, toxins, heat, um, light, food, stress, sleep, and then of course movement. And those are so if so I think when people are really examining their own metabolic health and their own glucose control and their own strategy for presenting for preventing metabolic diseases like type 2 diabetes and all the associated diseases which are now affecting the the majority of Americans, you have to take stock of all those different pillars and factors in your own life and think about which ones are you crushing and which ones maybe could use a little bit of work. And some of them are subtle. There's a lot of people who have never thought about unpacking their childhood trauma with a therapist um, and like just maybe they consider themselves just like a very A-type, you know, sort of 
hypervigilant person, but haven't really thought about like, huh, why am I that way? Why am I constantly in a state of vigilance? And that could really be affecting, honestly, like your metabolic health. Because again, going back to the inflammation conversation in the very beginning, if you're wired because of childhood trauma to see the world as a dangerous place, that is a threat signal in your body. And anything that's a threat signal can generate inflammation. And inflammation is inextricably linked to metabolic dysfunction. So someone might have the perfect diet and the perfect exercise and the perfect sleep and all these things. But if there is an underlying wound that's leading to a sense of threat in the body all the time, that needs to be unpacked to reach that next level, I think, of foundational true health. So everyone's journey is going to look a little bit different. And there's some things that can apply to all of us, like avoiding refined sugars and refined grains and things like that. But there's other things that are going to be much, much more nuanced and personal based on you and your current stage of life and your history. So interesting. On the temperature thing, do you see like the benefit of cold plunge? Like I know this is like all the rage, right? Like do you, what do you think? What's your take on this? Oh, I mean, I'm fully bandwagon Kool-Aid, all the metaphors for the cold plunge. I, I, I do it. I'm obsessed. I love it. I mean, I have a cold plunge arriving to my, I I do. I'm going to order one for my husband for father's day. Yeah, Which one do you have? Which the, one do you have? The plunge. Yeah, that's the one I was going to order. It's 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 that you know I think it's it's a great product. It's it looks good and it's what I love about it is I think it's it's incredibly easy to maintain. It's very very little work yeah. and um. But I will say so I've been really into the cold plunging thing for maybe the last two to three two years I would say and a lot of it is rooted in the metabolic stuff in that I just think about it as like, if I expose my body to a very uncomfortable cold temperature regularly, it is a piece of information to the trillions upon trillions of mitochondria in my body that they need to work harder. And if your mitochondria are working harder, your life is better. If your mitochondria are at the top of their game every single thing about your life is better. Like that's just the way it is. Every single chronic disease, almost every symptom in the Western world is rooted in mitochondrial dysfunction. So if that is a, if that cold bath is a signal telling, like, you know, telling my mitochondria to get in line to, to, you know, supporting them and, and helping them work harder and be motivated, I'm all for it. And so that's, that's sort of like one of the things that motivates me. But another huge reason why I do it is that it, is a little experience. I don't do it every day now because I don't have one, but it's it's a small experience. It's like a quick win. It's like you have done something hard and you've gotten through it. And the resilience, um, proving to myself that I have that capacity to do that hard thing is just very motivating to me psychologically. And this might interest you since you've had, you know, three children recently. My sister-in-law said to me, she just had a baby 15 months ago, and she said to me that, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but she said the only thing she can say to me to explain what contractions were like was being in like a 35 degree cold plunge. She's like, there's, it's not the same, but that sense of like, it's the only thing you can focus on and it's very panicked. She's like, it's the only thing she can think of like a corollary. And so when she told me that I want to have kids in the next few years, I'm like, well, if this is like training in any way for that experience, like I'm all for it. So, yeah. you know, we, we don't think we really think in our culture about like how to mentally prepare for those like, really incredible 
yeah, challenging experiences. But I'm like, heck, if but I that really motivates me when I get in the plunge is like, okay, if this is preparing me to do hard things in the future, like, great, I'll do it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I am a surfer in Southern California where the water is actually like not that warm for most of the year. And I used to always be like, well, I feel like surfing is kind of like cold plunging. Like totally. I'm in the cold water for a extended period of time. And I was like, when I could surf, I don't know, when I met my husband, we were surfing like sometimes twice a day, like a lot. And I miss, I don't get out nearly as much as I used to, but I'm also a big sissy on the cold water. My husband's like a polar bear, so he's all for it. But I, I'm i like going to commit. I think I want to get into this cold plunging thing. Oh I got to do it. I, gotta I think surfing is a great, I mean, I, go. you don't need to be in like the frigid, frigid water. Like, I think that that's helpful if you're only going to do it for one to three minutes, maybe yeah. a day. But I think being in like 50 degree water, that is still such a departure from our thermoneutral existence yeah, and you're totally. in it for so much longer. So I think that totally, that totally yeah, counts. I'll, I'll take it. It's an excuse to get in the water. What um, hacks are you seeing for blood sugar? I mean, I know there's like people talk about apple cider vinegar before a meal. Oh, and real quick, before we move on, because you mentioned this earlier, you said Chris Wrench was on. Um, so that he's from Timeline Nutrition and they're like a mitochondrial supplement. So for folks listening who want to check that out, Timeline Nutrition. They have a new skincare line that I use every day. I'm obsessed with it. And this is like a, we're not sponsored by them. This is not a paid advertisement. I have taken, there's no exchange of money or affiliate commissions going on between Primal Kitchen and Timeline. I just love the product. And they've done a lot of like clinical research on um, mitochondrial health. I would say they're probably like the leader in mitochondria um, support, if you will. It's definitely like a long-term supplement. It's not like magnesium citrate where you're going to like wake up and go to the bathroom in the morning and know like it worked. You're not going to feel it like that day, but it's, I would say a pretty, I don't know. I think it's something I will stay on for a long time, maybe for life. Um, but anyway. I'm a massive ones. fan. Okay. So All back, you are, are you oh, taking I time use skincare every single day. Yeah, I, love I the take skincare. the blueberry powder and I take the pill every single day. And you I the powder and the pill every day. I go for a thousand milligrams a day. Each one has 500. But when I looked into some of the research, um, cause like you said, they have, I think of any supplement company other than maybe pendulum therapeutics, which makes the acromancia supplement for metabolic yeah. health. Wait, what's literally the, the most, most, um, respectable research I've ever seen. I mean, these are supplement companies that have papers in nature and sell and have done like, placebo controlled studies and the results are incredible. So what is I feel, the pendulum you speak of? Oh my gosh, it's so cool. It's called Pendulum Therapeutics and it's it's um run by a amazing female founder, Colleen Kutliff, and it's an acromancia probiotic. And this is one of the only probiotic strains that has clinical research to show that it actually statistically significantly improves hemoglobin A1C in diabetics. And a lot of people who are optimizing metabolic health are now using it as well. And I I, am, I think that they have research in, in non-diabetic populations as well, but I'm not 100% certain. But, you know, top journals have published their research on acromancia. And so, and I'm very skeptical about probiotics. And, um, you know, there is just such a, such a diverse, heterogeneous field. And um, this one actually has, has really good clinical research for blood sugar. Um, and so, and it actually really interesting, you know, there's all this conversation now around Ozempic and semaglutide yeah. and GLP-1 mm -hmm. agonists and acromancy, actually one of the mechanisms of action, um, of how it benefits metabolic health is 
acting on GLP-1. So it's almost like a, like a, na- a more natural, yeah. s- like subtle nudge in the body towards Got this it. hormone. Yeah. So maybe you're not going to lose 20% of your weight, but if you're someone who isn't obese and is, I don't know, interested in metabolic health, it's an interesting choice. Do you, I on their website, do you just take the Acromancia probiotic or do you do any, any of their other stuff? Like they have a glucose control and metabolic daily I take the the one that I think is called gut support. It's got gut in the title. Um, and then I sometimes will just take the straight acrobancia. Got it. So yeah. <laughs> Do you have a code for them? Oh, I don't, but I bet we could get one. Yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to, yeah, yeah. So I love it. So cool. Okay. So we've plugged timeline. We've plugged pendulum nutrition. Do you take any other supplements regularly since we're on the subject? I take a lot of supplements. Yeah. I take a lot of supplements. I um I have, I, there's a test that I absolutely love. So, so after I left surgery, I got additional training in functional medicine through the Institute for Functional Medicine. And there I learned about a lot more of these kind of like deep tests that you can do that, you know, tell you really about the inner workings of your body. Um, and one of them is called Genova Nutraval. Have you done that yeah, test before? Kelly Levac talks about that test. She does. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing test. It's, it's a bunch of, a lot of tubes of blood and, um, a lot of urine, but basically what it does is tell you about a lot of these key metabolic pathways in your body um, and then specifically can help you understand which which supplements and which micronutrients and in what levels are going to be necessary to optimize all these different pathways. So as an example, and it's, it's a functional test, so it's not actually measuring levels of particular micronutrients. It's measuring the byproducts of pathways. So this is actually really cool. Like if you Imagine you've got this protein enzyme that's doing a chemical reaction and it's converting A to B by it going through this little machine, this little protein enzyme. That's basically like what's happening in our body all the time. We have all these protein enzymes and they're converting things from A to B and it bubbles up into basically our lives. Like that's, we're just like a big chemistry set inside our bodies, right? And so this test will say, okay, if if this enzyme, an enzyme is a protein that does a chemical reaction. If it requires these five micronutrients to function, and we know that, and it's testing the levels of A and B, if A is really high and B is really low, it means that that conversion is not happening properly, which probably means that those five cofactors, one of them is not at sufficient levels. Because cofactors, the reason we take vitamins and minerals by and large is because they act as these little like lock and key cofactors to basically make that protein enzyme do its job properly. And so then if you do that for like, this test is looking at like hundreds of these different like pathways, you can, they then have a model that basically says, okay, based on all of this information of whether A is converting to B properly, we can actually say that this person has a very severe B1 deficiency and a very severe B5 deficiency. And they're clearly very low on vitamin C because these these things aren't working. And so that got me to specify my um, supplements, move from kind of taking more of a multivitamin to taking like specific doses of like vitamin C, vitamin A, et cetera. So I take I take Weenatal, which is um, an amazing prenatal supplement that's actually can be a multivitamin for anyone, but it's got such high quality, um, high integrity practices that I really love it as a multivitamin. And then I supplement with specific individual vitamins. Like I take a lot of extra vitamin D. I take a lot of extra vitamin C. I take, of course, higher than, you know, average doses of omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA. Um, I take a lot more magnesium than, you know, what would be on a typical, like what's at CVS. Um, and what's really interesting when you 
I didn't really realize this was years ago that I that I took my first Nutrival, but what I've kind of full circle come around to realize is that so many of these vitamins that we're taking are fundamentally mitochondrial cofactors. And so in many ways, when we're supplementing, we're basically putting in these little, I like to think about the body as like inside your body, it's just, it's like hundred trillion cells and they're all just trying to do their work and they all need these little cofactors to work properly. And it's dark. The cells don't have eyes. They're constantly just like peering out into the, like to see what's around them and grabbing kind of what they need. And so by both eating a whole foods diet grown in good soil, which is going to have the most micronutrient rich food and potentially supplementing, what you're basically doing is creating a situation in which your cells have more opportunity to like grab what they need to do their work. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of my, my philosophy around it. And I think testing can be really helpful to kind of know what you actually what you need and and what you're good on. Do does a doctor have to um like do prescribe it or can you buy Nutrivel yourself? You there are some websites now like telehealth websites where like you basically can order the test and then on the back end there's a doctor who's actually Got ordering it. it for you, but yeah. the best way to do it would be to connect with a either a naturopathic physician or an integrative medicine physician or a functional medicine physician, and they'll order it for you. Um, Do you see any patients these days or no? Are you not doing any of that? I don't. Yeah. I I think that for folks listening, there's another company called Joy Women's Health, J-O-I and Blokes. Have you heard of them? Blokes is B-L-O-K-E-S. And they do, it's kind of like you have a functional medicine doctor, a lot of testing. I wouldn't be surprised if they probably do this test. I just texted them to see if they do. But and um, Parsley as well. I know that Parsley well, yeah. runs this test. So for people who like live somewhere where there's not functional medicine doctors, Parsley Or don't want to pay. I mean, quite honestly, some of these functional medicine doctors to get into, it's like all cash and yes. it's like $7,000 oh. just to walk through the door and you haven't even paid for your testing totally. yet. So it makes that whole thing like much more... Affordable. Yeah. I really like joy. Cool. I'll check it out. What is your, I'm curious, just your like, because it's such a hot topic. Like, how, what do you, how do you feel about GLP 1, like Ozempic medications? Yeah. I I think that, I think we're all still learning because it's obviously come onto the scene very hot. Um, And I would say that I'm very, I'm very skeptical that this is a, a long term solution. I think that it is, a lot of people are struggling right now with excess weight. 74% of the country is overweight or obese. We live in a world in which it makes it incredibly difficult to be, you know, a health the healthiest weight possible. Um, so, I mean, I, literally, like we've talked about all the pillars of metabolic health. It's like just living, just existing in this modern world is this huge stressor on your body that makes it difficult to not basically store fat. Like we have obesogens in our water. It's it's crazy. So I totally understand that in the face of these monumental challenges, and frankly, a government that subsidizes policy, like that creates policies that actually make it cheaper for us to eat food that makes us heavy. It's like, wow, this is a magic bullet. And like, it's pretty amazing. However. There is nothing that can replace the actual pillars of health. Like you can't, um, the body needs a specific set of inputs that we've sort of evolved to coexist with that generate optimal health. 
um, that are multifaceted. It's the stress. It's the sleep. It's the food. It's the toxins. It's the light. It's all these things. And so just losing weight is not synonymous with having optimal foundational cellular health. You you can't just replace all the things that body needs just with, with weight loss. And so I think that what I'm very concerned about is that you're going to have people losing weight, but are we actually going to be truly making a dent in some of these chronic metabolic and inflammatory diseases if people aren't also changing like radically changing their their daily habits and their choices. And one thing that makes me hopeful is that if people are able to have some success with weight loss after years or decades of struggle, I think that can be very motivating for people to make the more comprehensive lifestyle changes because they've lost the weight, they maybe have more energy to work out, and then you start working out, and then you want to eat healthier, and just everything kind of snowballs. So that would be my huge hope with these medications. Yeah. But the other thing that really concerns me is there's three things. One is the side effects. Like the side effects are profound. And actually, if you look at type two, people with type two diabetes, almost 70% of people discontinue the medication at, in, within two years just because the side effects are so pronounced. And a lot of them are like GI upset Not and enough. nausea and constipation and all these things. And you have to remember like, almost like many, most of our neurotransmitters are made in the gut. Our immune system is housed, like a lot of our immune system is housed in the gut. So when you start messing with the gut, it's actually a pretty significant thing. So a lot of doctors are just saying like, oh, a little nausea, a little constipation, but it's like, we can't just like hand wave around gut function. If people are having like mass gut side effects, like we should probe into that and have some curiosity about what's going on. The second thing is that like then there's a lot of other severe side effects that are rare, like medullary thyroid carcinoma, kidney failure, all this stuff. The second concern I have is that when you look at the research of what weight people are actually losing, it's not just fat. A lot of lean muscle mass is being lost as well. And that is... Question on that, though. I know they're making a big deal out of this, and I'm like very in the fence on this because I feel like we... I don't know. But what weight loss don't you lose muscle as well? Like, is that a thing? I mean, if you're obese, obese, like, you know, 400 pounds or something, I mean, you're not lifting weights out of your obesity type obese. Like, aren't you going to lose muscle no matter what? Kind of For someone like that, though, I'd be like highly concerned if they're, if they're yeah. already have very little um, skeletal muscle. Like if, if you're taking a medication that's just kind of gonna, you know, pull Waste from all the everything. different, yeah, it's just that, that, that feels pretty concerning to me. And and I think the key thing is that this these medications are just, I mean, it's it's literally like a, a hockey stick curve of how they're being prescribed. They're being prescribed yeah. in kids as young as 12. And the key point is that we don't know. Like right. there are studies saying that we are losing a significant amount of lean muscle mass and we don't really know what the outcome of that is. But I mean, yeah. that's that raises a red flag for me. Um, the last thing that raises the red flag is the research around the fact that if you stop these medications, um, two thirds of people gain back the majority of the weight in about six months. And so they are kind of this like brilliant medication from the standpoint of the pharmaceutical industry, because basically they're saying, or they're not saying, but like the implication is like, if you go on this and you're successful, probably need to stay on it for life. Because there is a greater than likelihood chance that you're going to gain the weight back if you stop. So again, my hope would be that we can couple this trend 
which is kind of a train that's, I think, pretty out Left of the station. station. Yeah, for sure. To, to couple it with like, as you lose the weight and you're feeling great about your body and you're feeling, you know, sexy and awesome and exa- like this is finally happening for you, triple down on all the lifestyle stuff. Do all the things that are going to improve mitochondrial function fundamentally. Start lifting weights, eat the protein, use that momentum to create the healthiest lifestyle possible so that if you do want to come off the medication, you have the best possible chance of having the cellular physiology that can support long-term success. Yeah. I love it. Interesting. Okay. I'm moving to the rapid fire section. I have like a few questions for you. Uh, What's your take on berberine for like people are taking that for glucose control? Yeah, I think it's the research is really strong that it has a minimal side effect profile and it can really help with blood sugar balance and is like a a natural, um, you know, supplement that you can get over the counter that can help with with blood sugar control. So I don't, I don't see a big problem with it. I don't take it. Okay. Cause you're using this pendulum product maybe instead. That's more. Frankly, there's just only so many supplements. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. I like, (laughs) yeah. Got so sick of swallowing pills. I'm like, if it doesn't come in a chewable format, like I'm out because I buy all these supplements and then I just hate taking them because I hate swallowing pills. So yeah. Okay. What are you most excited about in health and wellness besides levels and glucose metabolic health? Oh, that is such a great question. And it's like so many answers. Um, One thing that I'm really excited about is just generally is like the democratization of health data. It's the first time in a long time that we, anyone can really access a lot of information about their body through all the wearables, you know, whoop, aura, um, eight sleep levels, um, but also through access to labs that are not being gate. That, that the doctors aren't being gatekeepers. So there's like an amazing company called Function Health that was started by Mark Hyman that is allowing people to see like a hundred and a hundred plus biomarkers for five hundred dollars. And like they have wow. negotiated incredible deals with um labs and like that that would have cost ten thousand dollars five years ago. And so Crazy. To really be able to understand your body is so exciting. I am a physician, but I am very much, I think, just have such a departure with the conventional field in the sense that like we, I really don't like how healthcare keeps the information close to the vest and like basically in a paternalistic way acts like the patient can't understand that information. Like people can understand their own health information, especially if explained well. So function health helps explain it all for people. And there's other companies like Inside Tracker and Everly Well that are doing stuff like this. But I think that's just incredibly exciting because an empowered population who understands their own body can make better decisions and then we can have a healthier society and happier people. I love it. Um, what is your diet like? 30 seconds. Like what does a day in the life look like for you eating wise? So I'm like I said earlier, I've been really passionate about the regenerative farming movement. So it's, it's, I mean, really kind of focused on what you would find on our regenerative farm. So um, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, spices, herbs that are all ideally grown in the most healthy, vibrant, rich soil possible. I'm really focused mostly on just getting food that's grown in healthy, thriving soil. So not just organic, but actually food that was raised like with those principles of biodiversity in mind. And then on the animal um, protein front, um, you know, I eat a limited amount of animal protein, mainly because it's very expensive when you buy it from these sources. Um, but, you know, quality over quantity, the uh, 
like animals raised on on a, a farm with really good soil are going to have much more um, micronutrients, omega threes, etc., than conventionally grazed meat. So I, you know, eat eat that in I think in more limited quantities, but I, I focus on quality. So things like game meats, I really like elk, venison, pasture raised beef, pasture raised eggs, pasture raised poultry, and wild caught um, small fish. So like salmon. Um, mackerel, sardines, things like that. Um, so yeah, basically I try to do a whole foods, really thoughtfully sourced diet and that's been totally life-changing for me. I love it. Um, let's see. This is my last question. I ask everyone this, but what is something most people don't know about you? You know, I think that I, just given my history and training, like conventional kind of like, you know, all the way, like uh, I don't think people would expect like how how woo woo I I am and can be like I'm the type of person who's like under the full moon doing a moon ceremony and you know just really love to think about um some of the more like I don't know like the sort of the cosmic nature of existence and like how how amazing you know how miraculous it is that we're on this planet like this you know incredible um you know just as an incredible opportunity to to be alive and just how connected we are with um with everything else in the universe. So I I tend to um I have a very like sort of I think uh non-traditional thread that runs through me. Um and I think the more I learn about science, the more actually I feel connected to those things. Cause I think when you start to really dig into things like the mitochondria and metabolic health and and you you see patterns that are happening inside the body on the microscopic level that are really reflected in patterns all throughout nature and the cosmos and i think it's just really exciting and fun to think about just all that continuity and and beauty that exists in the patterns of of all of that so i think the more like the more deep i've gotten in metabolic health and and science over the you know my 20s and 30s like it's almost like the more out there i've gotten because the the more answers we have, the more awe I think um, it generates, and just sort of like how miraculous this whole this whole thing is that we get to be doing. So I don't know. That's kind of what comes to mind. I love it. You're just going to fit in so well in Los Angeles. So I'm I'm happy you moved here. Uh, well, thank you so much. This is awesome. We did set up a link um, for folks to receive a special offer on Levels. So if you guys want to check it out, I would highly recommend it. I've been doing Levels for years. I learned so much about myself. I'm just like a big fan. So it's really fun to be here with you today. But um, you can head to levels.link backslash Primal Kitchen. That's levels.link backslash Primal Kitchen. And then Dr. Casey, where can folks find you? Give us the give us the Instagram handles and all the good things. For sure. So for Levels, we're at Levels on Instagram, Twitter. We're levelshealth.com online. Um, and then levelshealth.com slash blog is this just huge wealth of information on all things metabolic health. Everything we talked about today and much more detail is on the blog. Um, and then um, for me personally, I'm at Dr. Casey's Kitchen on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and let's see, is there anything I missed? Yeah. And then you share the code levels.link slash, is it Primal Kitchen or Primal Kitchens? That's probably, yeah. yeah. Um, and I also just realized when I said what I eat in a day, the most important thing I should mention is that I go through an entire bottle of Primal Kitchen Buffalo sauce every single week. And I literally go to Costco just to buy the huge bottles. So the avocado oil spray, the Chipotle mayo, the Buffalo sauce 
are my go-tos. So I forgot to mention those. So that's going on all that pasture-raised meat, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, you have to have the good sauces for it. I'm so glad. Well, thank you for the support. We appreciate that. Um, Thank you so much. It was great having you here. And everybody follow Dr. Casey and check out Levels. 